Good evening. I'm Erin Hannes, Curator of Academic Engagement at Sheldon Museum of Art. I am pleased to welcome you to a pod, uh, conversation with artist Radcliffe Bailey, a live audience taping of the Modern Art Notes podcast. Thank you to the Nebraska Arts Council, the Nebraska Cultural Endowment, and Hickson Lead Endowment for making this program possible. Thank you also to the following sponsors for supporting the exhibition, Person of Interest. Kristen and Jeff Klein, Karen and Robert Duncan, Melanie and John Gross, Roseanne and Phil Perry, Lee and Debbie Stewart Foundation, Union Bank and Trust, Donna Woods and John Hinrichs. Radcliffe Bailey's mixed media work, Distant Stars 2, is currently on loan to Sheldon from the private collection of Catherine and Mark LeBaron for the exhibition, Person of Interest. Finally, thank you to our Sheldon Art Association members. Your support helps to make our educational programs possible. Information about our membership program can be found at sheldonartmuseum.org join. It is now my pleasure to introduce this evening's speakers. Radcliffe Bailey is an Atlanta-based painter, sculptor, and mixed media artist who layers photographs, text, found objects, and other culturally resonant materials to explore themes of ancestry, race, history, migration, and collective memory. His art creates links between African diasporic histories and potential futures, investigating the evolution or stagnation of notions of identity. Radcliffe Bailey's work is included in the collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Smithsonian Institution, the Art Institute of Chicago, the Denver Art Museum, the High Museum of Art, and Sheldon Museum of Art, among many others. Jack Shaneman Gallery has represented Radcliffe Bailey since 2002. Tyler Green is an historian, critic, and the host of the Modern Art Notes podcast, a weekly interview program that has aired over 460 episodes. His first book, Carlton Watkins, Making the West American, published by the University of California Press in 2018, won a California Book Award gold medal in 2019. Please note that there are live captions during this program and we will leave time at the end for Q&A. If you have questions or comments, please use the Q&A box as part of Zoom. Now, without further ado, Tyler Green and Radcliffe Bailey, if you don't mind turning on your videos and unmuting yourselves. Um, hi, everybody. While, while Radcliffe is coming up um, or being visually activated, as it were, um, uh, thanks to all of you uh, for joining us. Um, if you aren't Man Podcast subscribers, it's free, of course, uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Um, and you can also listen through manpodcast.com, of course. Um, over the um, uh, Radcliffe will be next week's show. Um, over the last few weeks, uh, our guests have included Aliyah Ali. Uh, Jeffrey Gibson, uh, who's at the Brooklyn Museum right now, Tamashi Jackson, who's at the Wexner, Turquoise Dyson, um, who was um, just at New Orleans uh, for a very long pandemic interrupted show. Um, and this week we have uh, a new Getty book um, on Imogen Cunningham, uh, which should be um, 
which was a fun fun show to tape. Um, let's jump in. Radcliffe Bailey, welcome to the Modern Art Notes podcast. Mm, thanks for having me. Thank you. I wanted to start with migration because your work is rich with, full of an address of, of migration, whether forced migration, such as through the Middle Passage to the Americas or within the United States, such as um, the Great Migration. And people who are with us on Zoom tonight can um, can see one, one such reference behind you. Uh, I guess from your work that your interest in migration as a subject or theme goes back at least to the 1990s. What brought you to it? Family history, something in school, something else? Yeah, all above. Um, migration was always important for me because of, number one, my relationship with my, with my family. Um, I was born in New Jersey. My parents moved to Atlanta in 1972. Um, my father, the idea was that, you know, our family wanted to migrate down south. And um, number one, it was really about the um, experiences growing up in a city like Atlanta uh, in the south. But also it was a very um, African-American community. Um, growing up in New Jersey, it was a whole different um, relationship. Um, the reason why my, my family was in New Jersey on my father's side was they were running around railroad trying to migrate to Canada. And when they migrated to New or escaped um, from slavery, um, they ended up in Jersey and met some Quakers and, and a part of South Jersey. And um, that was kind of like the beginning of my, my family um, uh, stopping before going to Canada. Uh, but, you know, like later on in life, uh, my parents uh, decided that they wanted to bring me and my brother up in a different environment. And um, where we were in New Jersey was pretty much a pretty rural area. It was, you know, pretty much in a, the garden state. So we kind of grew up around uh, my grandfather raised asparagus. It's a whole different kind of relationship all our family members lived on one street we were ourselves we were our, you know we were our best friends we were our family we were close by each other we were our neighbors um but um my parents moved to georgia and one of the reasons why they moved to georgia as they were coming down south um, they stayed at a, re uh, at a hotel a hotel and a restaurant which was called pascal's Pascal's was where um, Dr. King used to have his meetings. And it was an African-American hotel. And I met a guy named Reverend Tobin. Reverend Tobin was a teacher. And uh, Reverend Tobin, uh, my parents, because he knows them, would have showed them to show them. To, and then uh, a week later, my parents moved to Atlanta. And um, one other theme that deals with migration in my work is that my father as, was at railroad. And so he would often, we would often travel by train anyway. So migration was just something that was kind of, it kind of comes in and out of my work a lot. I think some one of the first artists that I met was Jacob Lawrence. And, you know, I was always fascinated with his work by way of the migration series. Um, and then, and it brought my work 
really it was about really trying to understand the history of my family. Um, you know, when I was in art school, it's one of those things where what what is my work gonna be about? Is my where's my work going? And I decided to do something and focus on the personal. And um one thing happened to me, um, you know, trying to one thing happened to me was that in school, my grandmother, we was family members in Virginia up in, on the coast. And so we were between Virginia, New Jersey, D.C., Philly. And um, I just remember one Christmas when all my family members were all together, my grandmother gave me a photo album of family members. It was over 100 photographs of 10 types. And she gave it to me, but she knew that I was going to art school, but she had never really known my artwork. And, and that was like one of my biggest influences. So I'm constantly trying to deal with that subject on and on and migration in terms of North to South, East to West, and from outer space to the sea. So it's a combination of a lot of stuff. And I think part of that was just fascinated with the future as well as holding on to the past. You know, I can't, we'll come back to that photograph album um, and, and photographs in a bit. Um, I've been thinking about how there have been so many museum shows in just the last few months, even amidst the pandemic of artists who are examining migration. And y'all are about kind of the same age. Um, Julie Maratu, whose retrospective is uh, now in Atlanta, has been addressing right. migration in her work for 20, 25 years. Uh, Torquasi Dyson, who just had a big show in New Orleans, um, sure. has been working on, on abstractions related to migration for, for a long time and is working on it now in, in residency at the Wexner at Ohio State. And, and of, of course, there's, there's you, and I, that kind of shared interest in subject and theme among three such prominent artists all about the same age made me wonder if there was something in the culture, a book, a movie um, in the mid to late 90s, maybe that um, maybe encouraged you. Not that you needed encouraging, but, you know, that the kind of functioned as a broader cultural permission. Nothing But a Man. There's a movie called Nothing But a Man. It was uh, Ivan Dixon and Abby Lincoln. Wow. Art collector uh, Ivan Dixon. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I just remember um, seeing that film, and it was that relationship of a man and a woman, and he worked on the, um, worked on the railroad land tracks. Hmm. Uh, but that's the first thing that comes to mind out the blue. Um, but there's all, there's been, hmm, Amistad. Amistad was 1997. Right, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, uh, there's always been this, when you, when I think about migration too, uh, you say films, I think about like music, um, Cold Train, Sun Ra, and it's a different kind of migration, but it's it's traveling through time. It's traveling back and forth. And I, I find that, um, you know, those were some of my earlier influences in terms of my work. It was always like, you know, turn on music. 
um, mm. you know, try to understand history through music, understand like, you know, you know, Coltrane did a piece based on the um, four girls who died in the church bombing. Um, Sun Ra was, you know, playing music that was, you know, about a joyful noise. And, you know, it was talking about outer space, but it was always like steeped into the history, blues and jazz, and some of the marks that have been made by African-Americans throughout history with music and then traveling to something that was pretty much about like um, the future, kind of like creating a new, a new kind of music. It's like, I think about Beard and Romare Beard and I think about like the way in which he was collaging and putting together these different periods, um, pretty much like a quilt, but I, but I also think he's kind of rebuilding um, like, I think there's one thing I think about, like, as an African-American artist or artist of African descent, it's like, when I was in school, my family truly crossed Atlantic and understand until later on in life and realize that here, here we have this tool of DNA. And so we can trace it. So I kind of like I always my first form of DNA is music, um, mm -hmm. uh, relating and reacting to different sounds. I think we all relate to certain sounds and memories with sounds. So, yeah. I, I have more about migration I want to know, but I can't let your Jacob Lawrence reference slide. How how did you how did how and where did you meet Jacob Lawrence? I met Jacob Lawrence when I was in middle school. Oh my gosh! And, and that same year, I remember Jacob around the same time at James Vanity, and I met him by way of my mom. My mom was a school teacher, and so basically, she knew the shows that were up in Atlanta. And at the time, um, there was a show of um, James Vanity and P.H. Polk. And it, and it was, uh, and I remember going to see that show, but then later on, I remember going to see a show of Jacob Lawrence's work at the High Museum. And I remember my mother, you know, I was real shy at the time. My mother made me stand in line to get his autograph. And my mom said, my son wants to be an artist. And, you know, and that was like the first kind of real living that I got to meet. Um, yeah, that was real important. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, back to migration. Um, there, there are lots of ways um, that migration foregrounds itself in your work, and we'll talk about some of them, ships and seas and, and railroad tracks. But I want to start with stars. Um, they've played a role in your work and re have recurred in your work for almost 25 years now, since at least, of course, the 1998 Distant Stars 2 up now at Sheldon. Um, that's a pretty early work. You were about 30 when you when you made it. Um, stars are in the title, obviously, but also they are uh, present in the white splotches of paint that suggest stars in the night sky. Right. Um, for me, across all of your work that addresses migration stars are probably the most constant thing 
Um, how did you come to seize on stars as, I don't know, it's not a metaphor, is it? But it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a familiar presence across all of your migration work. Right. Um, I was, uh, one of the more obvious ones was that fascinated with trying to understand constellations and the North star. Um, I was always interested in the, um, you know, as you know, one of the first things I was fascinated when I was in school was I was always drawn to the power of African art. I never knew or understood. I knew that there were things that I read, but I also knew that there was much more to a lot of that um, objects. And, um, and then at that time, I was fascinated with the Dogon. And the Dogon often talk about, um, you know, talk about stars and and uh, I was reading a book called The Pale Fox. Um, I just remember just being fascinated with it and trying to draw a connection. And, you know, as a kid, we're always looking up in the sky and I just wanted to understand and understand are there other worlds outside of here? And um, staring at stars and constellations and thinking about traveling. And, you know, it's that whole thing with uh, migration as well. And there's another thing that was connected with the stars for me in a strange way. I remember making this piece was that I was fascinated with um, people trying to foresee the future and people trying to foresee the future by like, for instance, predicting, let's say nowadays people play the lottery and they're trying to predict numbers and foresee and so in this work also, it was kind of like a constellation of numbers. Um, and some of the numbers are, you know, be it like numbers of uh, birthdays and family members, dates of deaths, uh, when people uh, make transitions. So, so the stars themselves are really about those other worlds and the numbers as well. Mm. You know, the, the, your use of stars has sent me off thinking into art history for a couple of weeks, thinking about stars in, in, in paintings history. And, you know, there aren't a ton. Um, hmm. it, it's not as common. I think it's not as common a thing as one might think. There's one big exception, um, and that is uh, the Star of Bethlehem um, in Christian religious hmm. painting, and now it guides... Um, the three traveling men, the Magi, to the manger in which mm. Jesus was born. And there's very often a very prominent star in those, those paintings. Um, did you have any interest in that usage in Christian painting? Um, somewhat, mm. in a strange way, in a connection. My grandfather was a deacon in the church, and he, and he built a church and. um uh, right outside of uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, in a town called Palmyra. And that church, I remember my grandfather working and building and working on the church. And I remember earlier work that I was working on when I was in college. I was making triptychs, and I was kind of, there was a reference to that upbringing of my grandfather being a Baptist deacon someone who struck me, so there's always someone 
while I do this tour across, you know, across so to like Congo and that reference as well. Um, and then some, you know, I would make references to some Haitian practices, um, you know, be it like nowadays we see like a medical sign with the, with the snakes wrapped around kind of up across. And then some I was referencing to Haitian deities. And that one in particular was dealing with Dambala. And, and it was really like a symbol that dealt with healing. And so, uh, you know, religion, religion was a thing that I, I, I avoided. I avoided in a strange way. I had some powerful experiences as a child. Um, I've seen some things. I remember going to that church where my um, grandfather was a deacon and it was a very small congregation. It was maybe about maybe 20 people um, that you would see at a moment. And it was, I remember seeing someone sit there with a pen and I remember seeing these kind of scribbles and there weren't really words. I couldn't really pick up exactly what they were doing. And then I later on is reading about some things about um, artists from the South or artists, I mean, people from the South and different practices of like a somewhat of a spirit writing. And so for me, uh, that also, that just took me into a place where I was just like, instead of understanding religion, I really wanted to understand the practices of African-Americans throughout the Southern parts of the United States, because I felt like they held on to certain practices, but it was not necessarily something that was not documented in a, in a book. There are books that people have written about uh, these different practices, but um, understand them even more from a personal perspective. I remember father, he used to um, ride, ride bikes. He's a bike group. And I remember he had a friend had this motorcycle. But on this motorcycle, it was covered with lights. And he had almost a couple hundred lights around this bike. So it was almost like a rolling altar. And I, I remember um, seeing pictures of this throughout some of my family pictures um, of my dad in the 70s and seeing with his friends with, his, with their bikes. And I think Robert Ferris Thomas wrote about it as like this rolling altar. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes back to you talking about the stars and the, the references to the stars, I also make these reference to like, Haitian flags where they use sequins to deal with shiny objects to repel and thinking about things like glass and mirror like, like the Congolese use glass for purposes so even this piece that you have just in stars is a piece of plexiglass that's over top of the photograph and that was used for as a way of repelling. Um, so yeah, there's that reference as well. Mm. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, that was that was great. I, I, it, so sometimes in your work, stars are a star field 
like in a work like Door of No Return, which I hope we come back to in a minute. It's one of my favorite um, Baileys. Okay. Um, and sometimes their star is like five pointed stars um, as in Congo sure. from, from 2013 um, or in, or, or like military uh, insignia mm. calling stars <laughs> in a work like Stars Over the Argonne Forest from last, from last year. To you, are you signifying or telling us something different with those different ways of representing stars? Or are you, you know, more referring to kind of the variety of references you can make with stars? Are you, are you playing with the idea of a star? Well, I, um, another part of, you know, uh, my father's side of the family and, uh, they were a part of, um, they were, some of them were Garveyites and some of them are part of Marcus Garvey's movement. So Marcus Garvey always talked about the black star line. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's a reference. Um, so that's something for me, like when I think about it, Garvey's movement was important to, to me to understand, but I also know that um, it wasn't as successful, but when I think about it, it's almost like a spiritual migration for me. And, you know, like, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like nowadays we have a way in which we can do it a lot faster. We can take our DNA to understand and migrate somewhere else. Um, but when I was using those actual five pointed stars, it was really a reference to Marcus Garvey and the black star line. Hmm. Um, it kind of, you know, I go from, from the North Star to um, a migration backwards with Garvey. Um, hmm. uh, so yeah, those, those are some references. And, um, and I think of when I look at the, when I look at military figures and, you know, African-Americans that have fought in, you know, like World War I, um, like that image that's up right now and uh, use military blankets to make the peace. But the star, the stars kind of go back to um, almost like um, I treat the stars like, um, how can I say, like a, it's like an, an adornment, but it's also, it's a reference back to like that, that um, Nikisi figure where you would find like nails and, and objects that are going shooting oh. and within an object. But there's also for me, it's kind of like dealing with that thought and that subject matter and there's the action about me putting the stars in a particular way. And, um, and painting to me was almost like, I never knew, I, I, I feel like I paint like a sculptor because there's a certain kind of energy that I have to work and I have to work in a certain scale. So I have to, I make, I like, I make a lot of paintings are, are kind of big. So, and a lot of it has to do with like my arm reach and it has to do with my height. Um, and it's almost like that act, it's like that performance. Uh, that's for me. And that's kind of like one of those kind of acts that it's like a private act that happens in the studio. Cause you know, like I said, I'm not really like a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but if I ever had to say that I went to church, church would be my studio. There's n almost nothing more paintery that a painter can say than referring to, you know, his or her reach as, as, as being defining 
right. the, the field. <laughs> so, you know, even, even, even if you're not slapping oil around, um, right. <laughs> that, that's still such a painter thing. Right. Uh, so if there's, if there's going to be migration, um, as, 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 as we've been talking about migration, there must be a means of, of migration. And sure enough, um, there is over and over again, for decades now in your work, you've given us ships, um, a reference to transatlantic journeys, and of course, especially to the Middle Passage, and you've given us railroad tracks. Right. Um, and I think, and please correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, um, increasingly as your career has gone on, you've been willing to give us ships and tracks together in individual works. Um, such as works like East, West, South, North, or Caravan sure. from 2018. Um, if I'm right about that, that, you're, that you've been willing to do that more as the years go on, why have you been willing to, to pair those two, two means of migration together? Um, well, you know, um, it's really about talking about my I'm trying to find new ways to talk about my family experience. I don't necessarily want to talk about my family experience and just all of a sudden stop talking about my family experience. Mm. Uh, I want to talk about, there's a lot that we all have to talk about our own personal experiences with our family. Uh, and I, for me, about like really like communicating with a higher ancestor, um, you know, there's a sense of, sometimes there's a sorrow, sometimes there's, uh, I'm celebrating, um, I'm dealing with that painful experience, but I'm also dealing with the movement and being moving, moving, moving forward. Um, and I pair them together just based on, number one, um, you know, it's my father's father was a fisherman as well. And so I just remember some of those like personal experiences, but it's also like, you know, there's the ships. They don't necessarily, there's sometimes there's a reference to slave ships, but there's also these references to other ships that are almost like spaceships to me where I'm traveling somewhere else. I'm fascinated with create um, some type of, I don't know what I want to call it, science fiction. But, you know, I remember hearing something a while ago as like uh, surreal is real to black people and kind of taking that um, thinking about those experiences and, and creating vessels where we could travel and move and move in different places and they look like different forms. I remember, you know, you know, as I do some research on like contemporary African art and how these objects that, um, well, I'm, I'm speaking about traditional African art and how today, how those practices transformed, transfer to different new contemporary objects and still carry the same amount of weight. And I'm trying to do that in a, in a way as well. Speaking of ships that are very much not slave ships, um, your 2006 work, Tricky, um, mm -hmm. which shows kind of a, I'm not good at, at nautical terms, but let's just call it a yacht with a sail. Right. If that's a thing. <laughs> um, uh, that's, that's reflective um, and has a hat on it. Um, 
I had not thought of this until about half an hour ago, but tonight is the first time I've ever seen you without a hat on. Um, uh, well, well, it's, uh, <laughs> say, say again, sorry. It's the earphones. <laughs> oh, it's the earphones. <laughs> so I, 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 so for listeners, I sent Radcliffe earphones and kind of made him wear them. So I'm, I'm really messing him up. Um, I, so I kind of can't help but wonder if the hat in Tricky is a little bit of a self-reference. Yeah, it's a self-portrait. Um, um, I think that most artists are tricksters. And we dabble in between different worlds. Uh, I make references sometimes to uh, Europe deities by way of West Africa and Nigeria. And, and the top hat kinda is that kind of reference to that kind of reference to Eshu, which is like a guardian of the crossroads. And, you know, when I think about the crossroads, I think about um, land and sea. And I think that we're at a crossroads between those two because the deeper you can go in the sea is just like, for me, it reminds me of the deeper you go in outer space and the similarities and how we sit in between those two worlds. So Tricky is that kind of person that sits at that crossroads. Tricky is that artist that um, can uh, work in different realms, different materials, and speak in different languages and different tongues, and speaks in a way which similar similar tongues and similar ways, but also very different ways. Um, the piece itself is kind of just referencing uh, like that self-portrait, and it's, it's somewhat close to my height, um, the size of the boat, and so that top hat is just one of those kind of things that kind of come up every once in a while. And, and I do these kind of pieces. Um, it's an ongoing body of work that I do that references like this trick, trickster and tricky. And some of them have top hats and some of them have like rocks. And then some of the references to the rocks are references to like, you know, issue, which is like, if you've ever seen like one who practices, you'll see like this kind of rock with cowrie shells on it on it and so sometimes there's references to that but it's it's loosely and there's it's i'm not trying to be very specific about it i'm trying to um how can i say i want to make a nod but i don't necessarily like the one thing that's that's interesting and it's fascinating is that i was drawn to african art by way of museums a lot of us, a lot of us younger artists, we were drawn by uh, going to museums and seeing African art. And some of those earlier shows that I did see, I kind of wondered about that work and how it made it to its museum, how it crossed the Atlantic and, and how it ended up in different places and how its influences. And I think about its life and how it still functions. Um, I want to make work that does the same thing where uh, I don't give you all the answers. Are you still there? Crashed on my machine. I'm sorry about that, okay. everybody. I um, hear you now. <laughs> um, I'm very um, sorry about that. Zoom um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know what, what Zoom did. I was, I was about to ask, um, so you've mentioned a couple times um, that in 2006, you used a commercial DNA test in the hopes of learning about your mother's ancestry. And you learned that her lineage went back to Guinea and Sierra Leone and to the Mendi people. Right. Um, the High has the High Museum near you in Atlanta has three Mendi masks, uh, and in fact, it, it acquired one just about the time that DNA test came in. <laughs> right. Um, I, I guess first, did you have something to do with that? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with it. But I, but I enjoy seeing the piece. I actually made a piece that was in reference to it where I actually printed on steel that image of that mask in the collection with, uh, with glass in front of it, which catches a reflection of that sculpture that's on right now. So that's the shape of a Mende mask, but I did it on a, on a lathe. And so it's, it's a reference to it, but it's, it's, it was about the patina. Uh, the patina itself, um, which when I think about the Mende, I think about the, the, the Mende women. The Mende women are the ones that um, pretty much run the community. Um, in my family, on my mother's side, my grandmother was like that person. And my mother had um, a lot of sisters. And so I, that's kind of like a reference to my grandmother as well, because she would also refinish old furniture but she would rub it in such a way and put a patina on it that it almost reminded me of like the patina that you would see on African art. Um, so there are those kind of loose references and um, throwing that relationship with DNA and tracing my mother, my mother's side of family. Um, so it, it, that's where my work became a little bit more personal towards the, re the DNA references. Um, before in the past, it was more like the references were brought to me by way of the museum. But at this point, uh, knowing my DNA uh, or, or parts of my DNA uh, and being able to reference it in a different way. Did you, um, so as, as we've talked about a little bit, there are references to African objects and African peoples in your work throughout really um but you know including in, in, in as early as that 98 piece where um it has written on uh the window just above the photograph um the words nigeria and benin um but do you think that the the the, the what you learned from that dna test changed how you approach African art or African cultural objects? Uh, no. Yeah. I, I think I did pick up, I, I picked up more, um, but I was really, you know, at the time of doing this work, even though it's personal, where I have a family member um, from that photo album that my grandmother gave me. I also know that the makeup of a lot of African-Americans, we are of a lot of different people. And so that was pretty much like a reference uh, with this one well, as well as like I had logs from the slave trade and numbers of people that crossed the Atlantic. And so on some of these pieces, I have numbers and they would say like 30,000 from, you know, from Nigeria or, or, or it would have reference to the Congo or, 
And so I was just really jarting down information as I would pick up information on the work. It was a way of like the work was becoming more like a, like a notepad and it was very loose. Mm. And, um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that, but I'm also like very fascinated with self-taught artists from the South. And, and then, you know, there was also like um, the influence of like a Jean-Michel Basquiat. It was, you know, there's a lot of like parts of me trying to connect a lot of dots and understand it's the painting is also, when I think about DNA too, the painting has, uh, it's painted with Georgia clay. So on top of the piece, it's like Georgia clay. And that was just a reference to number one, there was a reference to my backyard. Uh, number two was thinking about uh, the Native Americans um, and blood um, and those lost and civil, you know, those fought in civil wars. So it's a combination of a lot of those different thoughts all together. It's not one specific thought, but it's several different thoughts. And I think that, um, you know, with that work as, as well, it's, it was all about layers and layering one thought over top another thought over top another thought over top another thought. And, um, you know, I wish I could write because I would love to write a book. <laughs> um, and, but I look at my work as like a page out of a book of my life. There, there are a couple of things that come to mind when, when you say that. Um, one is a work from, and I'm afraid I don't remember the year, maybe 2008, called Returnal. Mm -hmm. um, which um, has, I think, sequences of your DNA, um, but also references Minkisi. Right. Um, which are um, common in Congolese religious practices or were. Um, and, and so when you talk about um, using the work as a kind of notepad for references that may, may or may not refer to things that are in the work, um, I guess that's probably one example of, of how you've done that. Exactly. Yeah. You got, it. I, I, I think another thing you do a lot in the work is, um, you make art about things you can't possibly know, um, the history of, um, which is to say you take what we don't know and find a way to address it in your work anyway. Um, and so I, I, when, when I work on, on, on writing history, what I don't know generally drives me batty. Um, and I, you know, there are things I wish I could know <laughs> so that I could understand what the heck I'm trying to write. Um, and appreciating, of course, that artists are trained differently than journalists or historians. Do you remember how and why it became okay for you to make art about what you couldn't possibly know? to make art that mashes up some of the references like, like the ones we were just talking about in Returnal? Um, there, there are parts of it I do know. And some of the parts of it I know is, you know, are part of like, you know, I'm just trying to draw those connections between like those artists that, those self-taught artists that are in the South and, and they're all around the country, but particularly like in the South and some of those like, I think about the way they work. I think about the use of materials and I think about, you know, 
my choice of materials at moments like, well, you know, I want to work in clay. Okay, but there may be a reference to my fascination with um, um, the great mosque in Mali. Uh, so it's more like I'm making those references and those are some of my thoughts, but I'm not being very specific about it, but I'm also being very personal in a way where it's from my backyard, which were civil war grounds. And so there's a lot of that. There's a, you know, I do read a lot about African art. I do try to understand as much as I can, because that's just something I'm just fascinated with. Um, I think I would probably be fascinated with it regardless of making art. Um, it, I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering the question quite the same way, but I don't have a fear of going into that space where I'm uncomfortable. I think there's one thing that I used to do, and I still do, um, I create problems to solve and have questions that I, I want to answer. I want answered, but I, I feel like I have to work them out within the work. It's something where it's like, um, I don't, at one time I remember making work and I was very insecure about using found old photographs because I felt like I'm using these old photographs and I don't know those actual people, but I know that they're from a family photograph. I don't know makeup. I don't know their DNA completely, but I do know that there is a connection between my family. Um, so it's almost like I've learned to become comfortable in that space enough to just, because they're, these, the work is more about asking questions as, than it is about having answers. So I have more questions than I have answers. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I love that artists have permission to kind of do that in ways that um, others of us can't. I value that um, enormously. Um, so I think a work that asks questions that I, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier is Door of No Return from, from 2015, um, which I think is um, one of your your uh, most major works. And it's a work that kind of brings together a bunch of things we've talked about. Um, we've, we've talked about how often you have photographs and other objects behind windows, behind plexi or glass. And, and, and here, here is a work where we see the sea um, kind of in a window hovering in this, in, in, in a star field. Um, it's, it's certainly, at least for me, your, your most psychologically intense work. Um, I guess first, did this, does the sea in that picture come from a specific place? Is it a specific sea? Hmm. It is, it is. Um, I don't, you know, I usually don't really say exactly where it came from, but the, the door no return, the piece itself, around the door to return from Bori Island, the coast of Senegal. And um, there was a reference to that, but it was, you know, I basically referenced a photograph that I shot when I was in Cuba. Hmm. And 
I started drawing the connections a little bit because I just started thinking about the practices of the people in Cuba and trying to make a, you know, when making the piece, I didn't really think about it at the time. I just really wanted the beautiful photograph of the ocean because it's like, when I think about very painful subject matters, I always try to figure out a poetic way of talking about the past. And it's, uh, how can I say? There's like a, there's a way I want to do it and tell a story. I can paint things that are painful and difficult, but I don't want to paint it in a, in a, in a gory or dark way. I kind of want to, I want to look at the, I mean, when I think about um, the history of African-American or African-Americans in this country, I think about like, there was a lot of painful experiences, but I also I'm really about celebrating who I am in such a way where I really want to deal with the joys and beauty of beauty of who I am. Um, but when I think about this piece in general, it was like, you know, there was a very like, well, I remember going to the door, no return. And I remember going through the darkness of it and seeing the areas where um, the Africans were kept very small spaces right before they are put on ships and taken away. And that was their last touch of land uh, of home. Um, and I, and I think about it when I went there, I, I took a, I rented a fishing boat and I rented a fishing boat while on the Island. And I wanted to film and I filmed a, a video of a fishing boat pulling up pulling up to the door, no return, and going away from the door, no return. So the piece itself was also, there are other parts of it that are, um, that I've been working on in the past with this piece. Um, so it was like that reference, but then it's also, when you look at that, look at the space, the glitter screen, the glitter screen was, um, was really about like outer space mm. as well. And uh, outer space, but then also, it was, I wanted to make something that was kind of very minimal so that when you look at the piece, you weren't really, you know, if you didn't read the title, I don't know if a lot of people would really pick up on the subject of it. I wanted to make something that was kind of like simple. There's a reference to another world, another world, outer space. Um, so yeah, but that photograph um, I took in Cuba, uh, that was something that I, I mean, no one ever asked me that question before, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where it came from. I'm also interested in how differently, how many different ways you have of portraying water or, or the sea in, in a work like Windward Coast, West Coast Slave Trade, um, which you've made and installed a number of times over the years. You're using um, piano keys. Are they called keys? Yeah. 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 Pian you know, the, the, not, not the keyboard piano keys, but the long wooden things that go back in a, um, in a piano to, um, to reference water. You've done that in Storm at Sea, also a piece from, from 2007. Um, is it 
important to you to have kind of a toolkit of different ways of presenting ocean and water because it sure seems <laughs> when I've seen the different installations of these pieces, I mean, at the risk of sounding trivial, it looks like you're having a heck of a lot of fun figuring out how to show us water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I am having a lot of fun. I know with this piece, when I first, when I first created the piece, it was um, basically um, a lot of us, we, we don't use a conventional art store. Uh, sometimes we just go to very odd places and as a kid, there was this piano shop that was in walking distance from my house. Um, and I remember as a kid walking down the street and I remember looking in and seeing all these pianos. And I remember um, years ago, I, going by this piano shop and driving by and I saw, I noticed a fire was in the back of it and smoking. And, and I drove in, I pulled in and they were, these guys were trying to get rid of all these pianos. And basically, they were just putting all the wood on fire. So I said, well, you know, let me have all these piano keys. And I brought them back to the studio. I didn't know what exactly what I was going to do with them. But I brought them back to the studio. And I started stacking them on the floor of my studio. And at the time, I, I, I think it was like a three or 4,000 square foot studio. And I just dropped all the piano keys on the floor. And I came in. And I was like, that's the perfect place where they should be. And so the piano keys... Um, you know, I started playing with them and they turned into the ocean. I would put on, um, I would play um, McCoy Tyner and Coltrane and I would put on my earphones and turn up the music and I would just react to it and drop the piano keys. And then I realized like, as I was dropping the piano keys, I started hearing the sounds like a ripping of waves and, you know, like the water as it trickles. Mm -hmm. And so I started recording those sounds as well. So with the piece itself, there is a recording that comes from, uh, I have a, a conch shell that has a speaker on the inside of it. And outside of the conch shell is playing those the sounds of the piano keys dropping. And you can hear me ripping the boxes open and it sounds like waves. Um, but yeah, and it was just fascinated with, you know, it's back to like that whole thing I was thinking about was like music was like my first form of DNA. And I was thinking about those piano keys and I thinking about all the, you know, different people who played those piano keys and all the different sounds that came from those piano keys and thinking about them all kind of jumbled together. But then also thinking about the history of jazz music, um, African, I mean, you know, jazz. And I was thinking about the way in which all these kind of sounds were kind of collaged together. And you know, it's also like there's a lot of ebony and ivory on the piano keys themselves as well. So it's all that kind of mixed up. And, you know, it goes back to that experience of my relationship with my father, my father's father, and uh, being on the ocean and feeling so small when you're on the ocean. And so it's a combination of that. And um, I was also, I remember at the time when, Small piece these different pieces where the cities and the you could see like the debris from the buildings all kind of stacked and pushed for, by way of by way of the water. So that was always a reference by the way um, um, by the way the ocean can do damage. I'm going to ask uh, one more one more question, and then we're going to open it up 
um, for uh, viewer, watcher, sure. viewer, watcher questions. I'm not sure what the Zoom term is. Um, we've talked a couple times about your use of photographs in, in, in works and where some of those photographs have come from. And one of the things I've noticed in your use of photographs in a work like Before Cicero from 2016 is that the person in the photograph is looking right out at us, um, directly at, at the viewer. And that the, the person in your artwork is then often surrounded by um, an abstraction, not always an abstraction like an abstract painting, but a group of, or a set of symbols that point us toward an idea. Mm. Um, so there's this very specific one-to-one -one viewer to person in the artwork relationship. And then this broader um, abstraction that, that builds us to an idea. And I wonder what about combining those two things is something that works for you, something you like, because it happens a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it kind of goes back to the conversation about tricky mm -hmm. where I felt like I was in between two different worlds and I know uh, different groups of people around the world. They talk about this other world, this other place. Um, you know, I think about native people from, different parts yeah i was just think about the way in which they uh, talk about this other world and there's this other world that was not necessarily so tangible so when i when i look at it when i think about my use of paint and where i use paint i don't i don't necessarily would call it abstract or anything but i just there's a reference to like sometimes that person that i remember when i was in church with my grandfather and someone doing this kind of scribbling and writing and kind of taking notes of the moment of that second and reacting to it like a rhythm, like a dance. Um, for me, it was like, you know, when I think about the use of it, I think about the, here's this world that's of the tangible and here's another world uh, where things are tangible. But it's almost a trick too, because photography is not quite as, it's, it's meant to be as tangible as you can be, but, I'm also dabbling with these different time periods as oh, well. Yeah. And so I'm kind of juggling between that and sitting in between those different thoughts. Um, so for me, it was always about like um, those two different worlds. But it's also when I think about, you know, and I, and I talk about these references in terms of like, you know, like Jacob Lawrence, and his use of the narrative and color and in his work. And then I think about Vandersee and his photography. And I've always kind of felt like those were early references of people that I met where I'm pretty much combined in the two in a different kind of way. And mm. yeah, so it's, 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 it's strange, but you know, it's like, the photographs themselves are like objects, the objects that are like, they have that same kind of presence, like the objects that I would see when, when I was in school of African art in the museum. It's that kind of like, you, you, you stand, but so close to it, you want to become close to it. But also, I, I really like to 
use the photographs in a very large way where they're like an actual scale of a person. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at when I, when I think about those, the use of photography in the painting. So. I like it. And one of the uh, um, weird things about zoom is I feel like there's a gentleman standing behind your right shoulder. who has been staring at me for the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to I want to kick off kind of the the, the Q and A portion here um, uh, with with a question that came in early from a class. Um, but before I ask it, Aaron, do we want to give um, potential question askers um, any instructions? If you have questions, go ahead and type them into the Q and A box. Um, my colleagues are watching. If you want to ask a question out loud, you can also raise a hand, but my colleagues are watching to see who has questions. So then I'll start with the with the first question um, that came in early. Um, and that is uh, someone who noted something that I think is, is uh, very much in, in the water at the moment. You live outside a major art center, you live in Atlanta. Um, and I think that as the pandemic has happened in the last seven or eight or nine months, we've seen a lot of artists move out of major art centers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how, how do you think being in Atlanta has, has worked for you or not worked for you? How, how is not having proximity to a New York or LA or London or Berlin right. mattered or not mattered for you? Well, I'll say one thing. We do have the largest airport in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that always matters. It's probably it's 10 minutes away from me. Uh, I, don't know, I think I made the choice. Um, I made a more a choice that was that was based on my parents. You know, they're at that age. And. I've always been pretty close to them. And it was always like me, my brother, and my mother and father. And um, I always felt like I wanted to live close to them. Um, I was lucky when I was young, when I first finished um, undergrad, I, I started on my like, junior year of college. So I started you know, have opportunities and kind of get an understanding, but not really, because at the time, Atlanta was kind of like, it was a city that had art galleries, but, you know, I still, you know, I was the kind of, who, even when I was in college, I would jump on a plane and go visit my cousin that lives in New York and I sleep on his couch and I go to the galleries and then you know, three days later, I'm jumping on a plane, going home and going back to school. And then, uh, you know, it was it was always like I felt comfortable. You know, I, I did at one time want to move to New York. I did at one time want to move to San Francisco. I did want to move to a major art hub. I felt like that may have been like a thing. But it's also like I think it's an important thing to do, but it's not necessarily for everybody. I think that if you can make it in a in a place where you can have your own sanity and get peace, I think that that's a wonderful thing. I know it's complicated because 
nowadays uh sometimes in cities that are not major art hubs you know keeping lights and the galleries are not necessarily that's not the easiest thing to do they don't necessarily have the largest collectors in the world come into those spaces um it could be a mixed bag um i'm very supportive of the arts community that i um that i uh, grew up in it's been it was very important for me um but it's also it's i like my space i see i see the south as pretty much when i think about i go as far as texas and and as you know throughout the east coast and i think of it as always in a strange way and i think of it as a lab and i really enjoy um how close I am to some things and how far I am from other things too. Um, it, you know, I think it's a, it's, you know, we all operate different. I try to think about how would it be if I was to make the work that I'm making in a city like New York, I think there would be a different edge to the work. Mm. I think uh, my sensibilities are, are different. And I think I, I've learned and I've grown to, enjoy and love those sensibilities and um, enjoy that space. It was also, it was, it, you know, it was puzzling at sometimes at moments too, um, because there was those like itches like, oh, I really want to be here. I really want to go here. And I really want to see these shows. I want to, I want to be able to um, be around the arts community because I have a lot of artist friends that are all around the country, but I really wanted to be in that kind of space. But as it as time went and time grew, I started feeling a little bit more comfortable. I know whenever um, whenever people are in town, they come and visit. And it's also I really like that space. There's something about that space. I'm one of those kind of people who I don't work with a lot of people. Uh, I have a couple assistants, but the, they're more so like people I've known since I was in high school. So I'm kind of like, I'm close to the community here. I, you know, I grew up in this community here where, you know, I knew, I've known at least like four or five of the past mayors. I've, um, you know, went to high school with the, I mean, I grew up and went to middle school with the, the current mayor. You know, it's like, um, there was also this sense of like a community here, um, African-American community that I grew up in that was, used to seeing black businesses and um, people that were politicians and saw a sense of black wealth from a different angle, um, which, which, was, which was like a beautiful feeling. I have memories of those things, even though those were very strange times um, post, uh, post assassination of Dr. King. Those were kind of different times, but it was also, um, it was kind of beautiful. It's beautiful in a way in which I was like, I grew up, I feel like it's post-segregation, but still segregation. And, you know, it was a different kind of environment because I really feel like we have really never, ever really been truly integrated amongst each other to appreciate each other. I think that we're still working on that experiment. We're still trying to get it right. Um, but Atlanta kind of gave me that space of family, even though I don't have a lot of family members here. It's just more so my mother, father, my brother. So that's a, that's a good thing. It's, it's complicated. It's difficult, too. Um, you know, 
I don't necessarily have, you know, if a curator wants to come visit me, the curator has to come see me. The curator has to jump on a plane. The curator has to really find a way to get to me. <laughs> so it's, it's also, it's, you know, it's, it's good and good in a way too. So the art world, the art world doesn't take me in and squeeze me in and mold me. And it's more like I can have my own personal life, my family, my, you know, kids or, you know what I mean? I, I, you know, in talking with artists over the last six or eight months, the things you just talked about are the things everybody's been bringing up, especially the part about wanting to feel part of a place rather than living in a rich person's playground like Manhattan. Right. Um, right. Um, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a question from Shonda Holloway who asks, have you always had a, a piece, an inner piece about not revealing, verbally revealing everything you set out to say with a piece? How have you allowed yourself that right to have, for the viewer to have a personal perspective, which may be outside that which you had yourself intended? Uh, I came up with a thing, uh, and I've said, I've said this before, I kind of keep coming back to it. Make it so personal that it becomes universal. Mm. Make it so personal that it becomes universal. And um, and there, I've always been kind of uh, insecure. I've always been like that kid that was insecure. And I really like, you know, it, when this when the artwork leaves the studio, I'm always kind of like, mm, I'm I'm concerned about what people see. Blah blah blah. Uh, I've learned to just be at peace with it, just kind of let it go. Uh, I think right now it's like a, I still feel like um, a friend of mine told me this once, always consider yourself emerging, you know, no matter how old you are, you're a forever emerging artist. You're always emerging. And so I kind of take that with me to feel a little more comfortable about that and, uh, about those thoughts and things and my insecurities, it's okay. And then, you know, and if it's not perfect, imperfection is perfection, you know? And so I've, I've learned to be okay with it. But there's, you know, and it's also like, there's a way in which in terms of information and things in my work, I like to have a level of uh, protection. Protection meaning that, there's some things I don't say about my work on purpose because I don't want to reveal every single thing in the work because I don't feel like I want to, let's say, give up the, that power that, of that work. I want to have a part of it that holds its own. And there is a little mystery about it. I'm, I'm cool with that. I like that. Um, another question, your use of materials, uh, we talked about some of them is, is really specific. How have you acquired things like the ships and the military cloth? And how important is the history of those objects themselves, like the blanket in, um, in the Argonne Forest piece? How important is the history of the physical object you're using to you? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I get in trouble with that sometimes. I remember Fun. there was a, 
I remember there was a piece that I grew up in where the house and it was a mirror and there was this mirror and it had this hand and the inside the mirror when we were kids me and my brother we remember right before we went to school we walked down the hallway and we look in that mirror just to look and see if we're okay well that mirror ended up being in a piece <laughs> and uh my mother she would always kind of get at me about that uh, but yeah I, I um I uh, try to figure out, and I, I live with a lot of objects. I feel like um, I feel like a dealer sometimes, and those are like some of my favorite things to do: or go through antique shops. And part of it is going through the past, and and you know you're actually seeing all these old objects and reliving and under, trying to understand these histories. But you're also smelling them as well because they carry a certain smell or a certain age when you go into an antique shop. So I'm I'm very fascinated with. Uh, like stuff like that and i don't know if i'm answering your question somewhat yeah no that 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 um that <laughs> that <word. laughs> okay uh, um uh and then uh, another um attendee or watcher really somebody needs to write a zoom dictionary or, or a, you know an emily post for <laughs> zoom users um writes that your more recent works seem to have a lower key or more somber palette um, mm. than earlier works, um, which I hadn't thought of. But now that I think about it, I think there may be something to that. Um, is that intentional? Is is there something driving that? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's intentional. I, um, mm. you know, I was, uh, when I was in school, I was a sculpture major. So I would make things that were somewhat minimal, but I'm also trying to figure out a way to make those very minimal things, but still have the same amount of layers of thought over top of them. So it's really like a personal exercise with me and a conversation I'm having with myself and trying to figure out ways to be a little bit more minimal about some of my thoughts. But at the same time, um, I have some things that are here in the studio as well, where I'm going back to painting the way in which I painted, like the painting that's in the collection, that, that's in the show right now, uh, and using color in a different way. And th there was this whole thing with me with, with, in the use of color, as I really love to put together colors that did not necessarily work and try to create a, try to create a different kind of sound with those colors and make those colors work. And that's a lot of problem solving for me. So that was a thought. But I also, I kind of go back and forth. Um, there are moments I'm very minimal, but then there's works that are very busy or some of them are feel more figurative and some of them feel figurative in a totally different way, which was just like uh, just dealing with my, my figure. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a... I'm jumping around, I'm bouncing around. I felt like I had like maybe seven or eight different people inside of me and each one of them has to come out every once in a while. Just like, you know, you have deities and, and all these different practitioners and I'm just trying to figure out ways of all these different parts of me that come out. I allow them to speak at certain moments. Sometimes it's a reaction to when one when, when comes, sometimes I become very colorful. Uh, when the summer, when it's the summer, it's, it's sometimes it's a different palette that's totally the opposite of whatever may be happening. 
that's probably, uh, that trickster reference is probably a good place to leave it. Radcliffe Bailey, <laughs> thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Stay safe. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much, Radcliffe Bailey, Tyler Green. Take care.